Welcome to the I'll Think About It podcast. Nothing is off limits in this space because we are interested and curious about everything. Join us for a thoughtful journey into the heart of the deep issues of our day with a few laughs along the way. Let's do this. In this podcast, we talk about homelessness, all the various issues revolving around that. And I also talk about a definition or something. Yeah, we there is a new word introduced to the Oxford Dictionary this year that we um, reveal. Right. You may have heard of it or you may be it. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope not. I hope, for we your hope sake. not. We hope not. Yeah, we talk about um, homelessness and I got something new. That you were happy. Yes. We start with that. And, and then, then I even have uh, another one of my little movie reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Movie so, reviews. We I enjoy that. Little Christmas. A little Christmas, Christmas Yeah. Movie. It's a little Christmas one. Yeah. And then, of course, we cover the vast and complex subject of homelessness. And as you'll see, there's a lot to talk about. The a lot amp, to talk about. Yeah. yeah. The resolutions to the problem are, are few and difficult, but it doesn't mean it's not worth um, investigating. But hopefully it's thought provoking. Yeah. And we can get further along than than what we've been doing because what we've been doing has not been working because we cover so many subjects here i think the dialogue is good for anyone who's even casually interested in learning more about the subject yeah okay so here we go let's go homelessness good afternoon aaron how are you doing today i am doing well oh well that's good to know time for another podcast it is time for another podcast Today, we are going to be looking at homelessness, and this is a tough subject with a lot of layers and nuances. Our goal is to look at all the issues facing the homelessness and seeing how we can break it all down into sort of digestible pieces because it is so complicated. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot here, and there's a lot, as I was looking into the topic, that was grating on my nerves. For instance... We don't say the homeless now. We say persons experiencing homelessness. That kind of political correct verbiage, and it just drives me batty. Well, as I was digging into the subject, I noticed that too. There are so many definitions. Yeah. And when we get into it more, we can go over some of those definitions. Yep. Such as persons experiencing homelessness, P-E- sheltered. P-E-H's. Are we supposed to call them pe- Pez? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like ridiculous. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm, no, no. I'm it, already derailing. Look at well, that. Well, <laughs> no, that's okay. There's This subject is so big, it's vast. Rabbit hole possibilities are endless. But we'll try to... Keep it on the narrow and see what we can do. But and for first, the for the listener, it's Aaron's job to keep me on the straight and narrow. I do try. <laughs> yes. Sometimes it's a, like a daunting task. <laughs> yes. It's know. it's an impossible task, let's be honest. Not impossible. But... <laughs> Not impossible. <laughs> okay. It's okay. The whole point of this podcast is conversation. And so I don't always see our conversation as being derailed. When we change subjects, even if it's abruptly, because I think that echoes real life. And if you are having a conversation with someone and you say, well, I only want to stick on this one subject, I don't want to veer off, then what's the point of the conversation? Right. And so we're trying to mimic that in our podcast by allowing conversations to go down different paths, just depending on what comes up as we're talking. And so sometimes we'll try to come back to where we started. Sometimes we won't. And that's just... Because the nature of the subject just is such that we need to allow ourselves some space to explore, I guess. Perfect. That means I'm off the hook. You're off the hook. (laughs) Yes, you are off the hook. 
Well, I understand you got a new phone, Missy. I got a new phone. Yes, I have an iPhone now. I've yeah, always... you actually switched. You're a switcher. I did. I was a little bit late to the Android or to the smartphone game. It took me. Yeah, you had a flip phone. I, I had a flip phone yeah, for a while, while. Yeah. but then I—I I mean, it was like a couple of years. It wasn't like I waited forever. But no. then I—I I got a—I got an Android, and I had a Samsung ever since, and I love my Samsung. But I have a lot of friends that have iPhones, and I feel like I had mentioned in a previous podcast that some of my messages were not going through, and so I just something was going on on my end, and I can't figure it out. So I wanted, I thought if I just get an iPhone, I'll have maybe some more um, clarity on my messages going through, especially when it's sent in the iMessage format. Separately, I also wanted a smart watch and the Samsung watches doesn't have, I don't know, they don't have great reviews. Yeah. I, I think their latest generation is not considered to be all all that great. Like they've been a little stagnant and the the iPhone ones are they're pretty good. Yeah, I think even except for battery life, that's that's the you only know one. I've heard that before. But my son has an iPhone and or I mean an Apple Watch, and it's his battery life is all day. Oh well, yeah, but like my Garmin lasts for a days, week, yeah, a week, yeah, months so, before you put on the well, charger. Well, not months, no, but kidding. yeah, the, it, it, as long as you're okay with the whole take the watch off every every day, you know, to charge it kind of deal. But I kind of like having the watch on and just keeping it on for days on end yeah it, it can get a little bit tough if the whole point like if you're really into tracking your sleep and, yeah that's and a good then point you're, you're right. like okay i normally i'd put my watch on the charger at night, night but then you would lose that you lose all that right. data so yeah i think his like his system is that he wears it most of the day and then mm-hmm. maybe we'll put it on the charger like in the afternoon mm-hmm. and when he's not trying to track any data he's not at the gym right. he's not in bed and so he can use that as a you know, yeah. time to charge it. So I wanted both. I wanted them to sync. I didn't want two different systems. I wanted something simple. So I just decided to go full Apple. Full Apple. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been interesting. I I don't know if it's my age or my personality, a combination of both. But for me personally, I can step back and look at myself look at feeling frustrated about something. Even just something as simple as the swiping on the phone is completely different on an iPhone compared to my Well, Aaron, you don't you're not a person who enjoys change. So, yeah, yeah little little things true. do, I think. Uh, most people, I don't think it's a big transition, but you are you, Wait, are you saying that for most people it's not a big deal to go between an Android and an yeah. iPhone? I disagree. I I I stand by my oh, assertion. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, most people, because they're all very similar. You got the apps, you touch them, you click the little thingies. You, they're, they're not. I just, I, I literally am like two, four hours on my <laughs> iPhone and I'm my, my finger's going one way and it's like not doing anything. I'm like, dang it. I, well, I gotta I, like go the other way. But it's Some just, gestures are different. It's, it's yeah, as but. simple as muscle memory in your hands. And so you're used to just moving things a certain way. Yeah. And that in it producing a result and then it doesn't. And you're like, oh, my gosh. So it's going to be fine. I'm just re- I need to spend about two weeks retraining my brain and then it will be like it never happened. But right now I'm like finding myself annoyed. Like, why is it like this? And it's new. And I think there's something to be said by doing about doing new things. You know, and I think OK with it. I just saw something. So most people know, I'm sure know this, but if you're on an iPhone and you're getting texts, yeah. they can come in two colors. They can come in blue or green. And if you get a text in blue, that means it's from another iOS device. Yes. So you know who the Apple people are. If it comes in green, then that means it's almost always an Android device. 
And I have seen like people online say, teenagers, I'm, I'm glad you got a new phone because that way your texts won't come in the wrong color anymore. Aaron, and there's this like, is the funniest thing that you're telling me and you're oh, just realizing this. This is huge okay, in the teenage community. This is so lame to me that this is a big <laughs> deal, right? It's like here we, we have like, it's like racism of texts or something. No, when, when both of my kids got phones they and by the way both of my kids got phones fairly late so by the time they got phones in high school all their friends were already on phones right. so they they were coming into a system that was already established and they didn't want to be green that was a known thing they wanted to be blue <laughs> so this, uh, just, this is i don't know i guess teenagers will be teenagers. i didn't even know what that meant because i don't even have an iphone <laughs> right, right. so like what? what all my screen is all like i don't even know what you're talking right. about yeah that, no that's a thing yeah and uh, what does that it's, say about our society <laughs> well it's just one more way that people self-divide themselves well yeah and but it's it, self- not just self-dividing but it, it's it's a way of i don't know uh, having prejudice against somebody's like, oh yeah, you're a green texter. Yeah, you know? that's so. So as much in, a, in society as much as we try to like stamp that out, right? <laughs> it just always comes back in different forms. So I have it's, a question though. Yeah, Apple knows this is going on. Oh, absolutely! It so, makes them look exclusive, right? Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, they're, I'm sure, thrilled that uh, they would never admit it, but they like the fact that only in, another Apple device will text in blue. <laughs> it's an interesting statement on our current tech culture, if it you is. ask me. And who would have ever thought? And like I said, I lived many, many years without even knowing this even ex- that I was sending text out into the world and that they were received in a different color by someone. Right. I had no idea this was happening, that people were possibly self, they were censoring me. <laughs> I didn't know it. I mean, I can't imagine. But no adults, I, I don't think adults I don't think would adults do would do it. But, this is a teen But thing, I will say. Which I was not a teen having a phone, so. You're right. I will say, though, I have had, shall we say, the older generation be confused by this. When they would see some people would be texting them in green and some would be in blue. And so while they didn't necessarily know what it meant or were, were being prejudiced against the texters, it did was a source of confusion because they didn't understand why it was happening. Like, why are some people yeah. coming in a different color? Yeah, I, I, wanted, I, no I want you to be blue, too. Yeah. No, I'm not <laughs> so, blue. I'm sorry. I'm over here in Android land. Anyway, I'm sure all the teenagers that are listening to their parents listening to this are just laughing at our stupidity right now. But <laughs> Yes. Or like... Yes, this matters. How can you not see this matters? What's wrong with you, senior citizens? Uh, okay. Well, any other um, interesting things about the phone transition thus far? No, it just next on the next podcast, maybe we'll check back and see. Yeah, and see how this is going. If my yeah, if I'm just managing it all, and I I still am still happy. I got a watch too, as I said, but the watch isn't coming yet. So I I'll oh get when that. you oh, when are you gonna get that? I'll get that. In a couple of days. Okay. So I'm hoping they'll have like a little bit dialed in on the phone and then I'll get the watch. And I will say I couldn't do this without my son who's yeah, setting everything up for me. Her son is a super smart tech guy. So yeah, he Well, he, he also just has. And he has it already. He's the right? only one in our family because my husband and I both have Androids. Right. <laughs> so, and, and then when he got his first phone, when he was a freshman, he was like, there's no way I'm getting an Android. Right. And of course. it all yeah. had to do with that. Yeah. Green versus blue battle. <laughs> that was the reason why, actually? Oh, a thousand percent. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 
No, specifically. I, I wouldn't have picked your son to be one who would care. And even no, he did. All teenagers care about this. Oh, my God. This is a really so big weird. deal. Apple has done something where they've created some type of mystique right. with those messages. And teenagers really want to make sure that they're in that blue category. They do not want to be outside of that. <laughs> That's so crazy. It's, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, first world problems. Yeah, I know, exactly. I know. know. It feels a little silly to discuss. However, this is our everyday life and stuff we're doing. And so, you know. Uh, It's funny. It matters. I've been into tech most of my life. And I now I am at a stage where I couldn't care less about the dang smartphones. I don't care. They don't do anything new to me. There's no reason. When they first came out, like every new version had something cool that it did that they have previewed. But now they're all, they just seem the same to me. You are the most flexible person I know when it comes to new tech, because you will switch. Oh, I've got a Google Pixel now. Oh, I've got an Android. Oh, I've got an iPhone. Like you just, it's like whatever's on your mind. That's the one yeah, you're going to get. <laughs> you just, you don't really have like a allegiance to one yeah. or just kind of whatever's there in front of you, whatever's interesting, which most people aren't like that. That that, but that although may be fair. You think that people are more flexible than they are. I don't. I don't agree with that. Well, I know you're not. I think you represent more of a minority. You might be right on that. I mean, I know certainly I know other flexible people, but but maybe you're right. Maybe I'm in the minority, not the majority. Maybe more tech people are. Well, I would think so, because we we're we're very comfortable in what the things are doing. Yeah. And we know if it's slightly different. Oh, well, that's probably like this. And Mm -hmm. so we don't, unlike you, where you're swiping and it's not doing what you, you know, and you have that angsty frustration. I'm annoyed. (laughs) I'm annoyed. Like, why isn't this doing it? uh, And so, yeah, this is uh, all about tech here. Yeah. Yes, all things tech. That's Um, our other podcast we'll be starting next in 2023. No, trust me, I am not doing a tech podcast. Okay. No, I won't drag you into that. So, Aaron. Did you see a Christmas movie? I thought you said you uh, saw I something. did. I saw another Christmas movie, another black and white one. Okay. Um, and this one was broadcast on TV back in the day, actually. It wasn't in the theater. And it's only about an hour long, but it's so good. It's, a, it's from a collection of stories that Truman Capote wrote. Uh, Truman Capote is most famous for his novel In Cold Blood. Um, which came out, I don't know when that came out. I think that was in the 60s too. And that was about a just a grisly murder that occurred. But he um, he interviews the the perpetrator who did it and, and writes about it. And it was one of the classic true crime kind of books. But he's just an exceptionally good writer. And he wrote lots of short stories. Well, this Christmas memory is is about him when he was young. And he had this very odd upbringing. Uh, He lived with uh, a woman who was, I don't know what the politically correct way of saying it is, but you might say is more like a simpleton kind of person. Who was functioning as his mother? Who was, yeah, basically his like guardian. There were other people in the house, two other older women who I guess were widows probably, or at least one of them was probably a widow. And they all lived together, but he, as a young boy, was basically (laughs) being raised by this woman and... It's just a a story about him remembering this precious time with this just marvelous woman who's kind of taking care of him and how they have these Christmas memories together. And I'm going to tell you right now, 
I don't care who you are, you will shed a tear at the end of this because it's just so emotional and I don't even know how to describe it, but you can get it online if you, you can like buy it on Amazon, like a, a DVD of it. Okay. Um, but it's not, so you can't, you can't, you can't want, you can't stream it. You can't, to my knowledge, you cannot stream it. And okay. I, again, it's a rights thing, but you could buy it for, I don't know, 10 or 15 bucks on a DVD. Well, how did you watch it and how did you hear I, about it? Oh, a friend of mine remembered seeing it as a kid. Okay. And he was also a fan of Truman Capote. So he put those two together. He's like, oh, well, he was just telling me how great it was. So I got it and I digitized it so that, you know, you could put on a Roku or whatever. Um, but you could just watch it through a DVD. And it's got to be one of the best Christmas-themed things ever done. And Truman Capote actually narrates it. Wait, so is it a dramatization of his childhood or is a, it like a, little a bit. Yeah, yeah. document? Not a documentary. It's not a documentary. Okay. You know, it's a story. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's a story. So... And like I said, it's only an hour long. And you can actually tell where there's a commercial break, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know how those kind of uh, things have that. Like the Grinch, the same way. You always know when the commercial was when you're watching The Grinch Stole Christmas because it has this weird pause yeah. or a weird suspense moment. So A cliffhanger. A cliffhanger. So <laughs> yeah. um, it's kind of hard to put into words. Basically, he's a young boy in a rural uh, – I'm not sure what state he grew up in, but he lives in a rural or very – Rural life, they're poor. They spend all their money making fruitcakes for friends and acquaintances that they've met over the previous year. And that's all the money they have. Is what That's what they spend it on. And this um, would be for Christmas gifts. So, this would be for Christmas so gifts. So all the money they have at the time, they yeah. put together these special, the, the, yeah. these handmade Christmas gifts these, for their friends and family. Well, specifically the fruitcakes. The fruitcakes, okay. And so then there's this little adventure where they have to go and they have to get the, uh, what are, are they, walnuts or what's the other nut? Um I don't pecans. Know what's in I there. think okay. it might be pecans. But Wait, do you say pecans? Pecans, pecans. Well, however, okay. yeah, yeah, that's pecans. that is a genera- that is a uh, geographical thing too. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, but you're from here. Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, it's it's so really cool. I hi I I mean, to whatever extent you think my opinion has merit, I I cannot more highly recommend this as a fun thing to watch with kids and family. And like I said, it's only an hour long. But Christmas memory. A, a Christmas memory. And based on Truman, Truman Capote's childhood. childhood me, was, a specific time in his childhood. Yeah. Okay. You know, pre, you know, he's probably, I want to say, eight to 10 years old, maybe. You know, the actor who plays him yeah. appears that way. Definitely, you know, a boy, not a not a teenager. So that is what I recommend. That's your Christmas That's movie? That's my Christmas. Okay. So by the time our listeners hear this, Christmas will have passed. Christmas will have been passed. So you have so a year. You'll have a year to uh, – A year to get to And get also it. Bachelor Mother. And Bachelor – now, Bachelor Mother, you could – it'd probably be easier to, to stream, I'm sure, or but find. But it's a holiday kind That's of That's a holiday-themed okay. uh I'm just having movie. people plan ahead for next but, year. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll probably have another one. You, you know, have another one. I, I have a series of, of okay. these Christmassy things I like to watch. Well, next year, 2023, sorry, when people listen to this, will be 2023. Maybe we'll have an episode toward the end of the year where we will wrap up. Oh, that's a good idea. It would be fun. It'll be our sort of heartwarming episode just to get us ready for the season. Right. Yeah, because we'll be on schedule and we'll be recording prior and, and releasing prior to the holiday. Right. So, well, are you ready to dive into the big subject today? Uh, I don't know. It's like, I feel like I have to get worked up to. There's a lot to be worked up on. Yeah. I want to start with a memory. This is a memory I have of being in Portland. Gosh, it must have been four years ago, four, maybe about four years ago. 
And homelessness has always occurred in Orange County, the, the county that we live in. Uh, California is home to, I mean, they say about one third of the population of the United States homeless are in California. Yeah, yeah. We, we have by far the, the most. Yeah. yeah. And of um, any state. also, they estimate about 582,000 homeless in the United States. And 161,000 of those are in California. So about 30% of the homeless are in California. What is the actual definition of homeless? Is, is there one? Yes. Well, homeless is someone without a home, but then you get into more, you have sheltered and unsheltered homeless. So then that's where you break down the def definition of what homeless is. So homeless would be a person who doesn't have a place to go to sleep that they're either renting or, or that they own. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you, if you're you going to a, a shelter, that's technically you're still homeless. You're still so, homeless. Right. But you're sheltered homeless, right? right? Okay. So we make that distinction. Okay. Well, we do because it's actually very interesting how many are sheltered in different areas of the United States. Like in uh, California, our number of unsheltered homeless is like 70%. Oh, the, so the vast majority are unsheltered. Are unsheltered. Whereas you go to New York, it's about 5%. So we're the, we're the highest. And then we have Oregon as right. Is that a weather-related Thing? Not necessarily no. because you have Oregon. I mean, they don't have great weather and Oregon's right behind us. Sorry, Oregonians. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Compared to Southern California, right? Everything seems not as good in the weather department. Yeah. But. And so you've got Oregon has, it's like in the 60s, Washington, um, and then uh, Hawaii also, though that's warm and that's about just under 60% of uh, okay. the homeless. So it's clearly not a weather thing. Not really. When you, when you add in some of the states that aren't considered warm weather. And also Northern California is not warm. So yeah, good point. Yeah, obviously. I mean, not, yeah. you know, when we think of California being the sunshine state, I mean, we're talking Southern California, Southern California and coastal temperate. We've got our deserts that are hot. So that's, and the desert gets cold at night and the so, desert gets yeah. very cold at yeah. night. You have extreme temperature swings. So people might come to California because they are lured here because of the weather. So maybe there are more homeless here for that. If you want to talk about the weather and homeless, but it, that's not really what's going on. But I'm going to go back to the, my story. I was up in Portland about four years ago and I was up there for a conference and I was with a friend and it was cold. It was March. It was not snowy, but it was really chilly. Gosh, we were in beanies and, and scarves. I'm, I'm going to say it was in the 40s. And I had to step over a person to get into Starbucks. Person, It was like a cocooned in a sleeping bag. And you couldn't even actually see. You just knew a body was in there. I mean, you had to step over them because they were in front of the doorway? They were blocking the doorway. I don't understand why the Starbucks would have allowed him to. Well, we'll get into that. Oh, okay. But it was terrible because... There's so many emotions. Like I'm stepping over a live person. This is it is freezing out. This is completely inhumane. This person is living in a horrific manner. Right. But then simultaneously feeling angry. Why didn't? Why is Starbucks allowing people to be sleeping at their doorsteps? Right. And in Portland, that was everywhere. There was. And that was four years ago. That was about four years ago. Even driving into Portland from the airport, I had taken a an uh, an Uber. And all along the freeway, because, you know, there's like embankments along the freeway. Mm -hmm. It was solid tents. So people are living solid tents. Oh, yeah. I, that's what it's like on. Um, it's, it's like that in, in LA. LA. Yeah, yeah. You see that in LA now. Yeah. All along the edges of that. It's because it's like land that nobody can use for anything, but yeah. it's space where they could set up their little tents and their little campfires. And yeah. 
by the way, not to derail you, I just want to point out Portland. I was there in the 90s, early 90s, and it was, without question, one of the most beautiful, clean cities I had ever seen anywhere in the country, in the world. And I was astonished at how nice it was. And now it, I talk about a transformation of a city. It's it's very sad. And I I, I just feel terrible for people who purchased property or, or made that their home. Their homes, because their businesses. It's, it's gone from like one extreme to another in this regard. It's it's absolutely shocking. And and like I said, you you're simultaneously angry mm-hmm. that it's come to this. And then you're also this is tragic. Yeah. And you, for there's there's humans. It's a human, yeah, right. It's a human problem. There's people living there's you don't no one should be living that way. Mm-hmm. And so you it's you you it leads you into all these conflicting feelings of wow, we need to do something now. Mm-hmm. And then everyone comes in and they're like this is what we should do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then all those opinions are different. So it it becomes very confusing on what the fix for homelessness is. And I mean, I, I have my personal feelings, but we, it's hard to. Well, uh, to be fair, I don't know that. I don't think it's clear what, what the actual cure is. Um, As a matter of fact, I'm not sure that there is, you see a lot of this stuff online or policy people, they say things like, uh, you know, we need to permanently solve the homelessness. The the fact of the matter is in a free country, (laughs) you're not going to, because some people are going to choose that life. It could be a small portion of of the people that are doing it now. Maybe a majority of them are doing it because they have no choice, but some people actually do make that choice. And, And how do we know this? We know this because some shelters have rules and they simply don't want to abide by the rules. So they would rather live out on the streets than abide by rules, by rules uh, because maybe they're drug users and they're not allowed to use drugs, um, whatever. So some people do actually make this choice. Now, the question is, how do you how do you police that? How do you I mean, do you allow that? Do you allow for vagrancy? Should it be legal? Is it legal? Uh, and it, obviously, that depends on the city and state. But if something isn't illegal, it's more likely to happen. On the other hand, if you make it illegal for somebody to simply be there because they they don't have a home to go to, are you just being heartless jerks? <laughs> right? Well, and it's it's not it's not simple. This is not simple. This is not simple because again, we can go back to the people who don't like if you want to and I actually I got on and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get on the internet and I'm going to say I'm I'm um, about to face homelessness. I I'm living in a house and my landlord is kicking me out. I uh, or he's raised the rent, which in California I do want to state there is a rent cap of between five and ten percent. So landlords can't raise rent. You mean in in one go? In one go, yeah. Is that per year or per month or? It's. Something like that. It is something, and I, sorry, I don't have that answer. Okay. You, what the the point of it is, you cannot just do a big increase to try just, to force an you, eviction. No, essentially, no, you okay. cannot. And so, uh, but so, say there is an increase, or something is happening, the building's being sold, demolished, or whatever, and this the, they're they're going to lose their housing. What do they do? They have a job. Uh, it could be low income, but they have a job. They um, aren't uh, mentally ill. They aren't addicted. 
they're just facing a bad situation. There are so many services available if people are interested. There's housing assistance. There's food assistance. There's relocation assistance. There's rental credits. There's like, it is at least, and I'm talking about California specifically. I can't speak to other states. I know New York has a lot of uh, systems in place as well. I'm speaking, and for most of this podcast, we're going to talk about California because California is basically the homeless capital of the world as far as not only do we have a lot of homeless here, there's been so much money spent on homeless. So there's been a lot of experiments in California that you can look back on and you can say, did this work? Did this not work? It's been like a testing ground for homeless. to paint with a broad stroke, it does seem like the states that have the most programs and are throwing the most money at the problem are coincidentally the states, or not coincidentally, the states that have the biggest homeless problem, which implies that that isn't the fix. We, I think in the last couple of years, the statistic is that... uh, State of California has spent like fifteen billion dollars. Yeah, I mean that's, that's on homelessness. And 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 we have how many homeless do we have in California? Fifty thousand? Oh, a little bit more than that. So I mean, that I mean I don't yeah. know what that is. I don't know what that is per person, but that's an awful lot of money. Oh, the amount of money spent per person. I mean, we can get into shelters and housing first. What they're doing to build a shelter or a permanent affordable housing, it's about a hundred or about. $600,000 per unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, per I saw unit. I saw that. That was in LA, right? I think they were yeah. saying they were going to build. Oh, well, okay. Th- this actually brings up something that, that I discovered that really bothers me. When I was growing up, we always, whenever we were talking about homeless and we would talk about homeless shelters and stuff, they were only ever temporary. Right? There was never this notion that we were going to build a permanent place for quote unquote homeless people to live. And if you think about it, that logically follows because if I create a permanent place for a quote homeless person to live, I actually just gave him a home. Then you're no longer homeless. Yeah. It's affordable housing at that point. Y- yeah, but that's not what they're calling it. They're calling it permanent shelters for people. In other words, one person can be there permanently if he or she chooses. Well, I, then how do you classify them as homeless at that point? Now they're just basically getting free rent paid for by the government or by the taxpayer, right? that's exactly what it is. And it's even worse than that. It's even worse than that because – so we had the shelter system and you've got temporary emergency shelters and then you've got – and those fall into different categories. You have temporary emergency shelters that require you to be sober when you come in and then they maybe have some limitations. Maybe the homeless person's got a pet. You Mm -hmm. can't bring the pet in. You've got – you've got to be sober – and they have like a, a, ti- a time restrictions. Time to, restrictions. Right. And then you have low barrier shelters. But to go back to the, for instance, the a barrier shelter that would have restrictions. Josh, but, well, I, I don't know this term, barrier shelter. Like you have low barriers where you can just come in. Oh, you, you, barriers you, for entry? Barriers for entry. Okay. Exactly. Right. So so say you're, um, or when Josh and I used to uh, volunteer up at the rescue mission, they used to have a. A big meal. It was a, it was a shelter mm-hmm. in downtown Santa Ana, and we would go up there on Saturday nights, and we would serve dinner to the homeless. And it would allow in about seventy men. You'd serve. We'd serve between seventy and ninety men, and the men would start lining up outside, and then they'd come in around six o'clock, and 
you had to be sober to go in Mm -hmm. and you had to stay all night long. So what they would do is they'd come in and there was all these tables set up. We'd be making dinner in the kitchen because you bring in all your own food and then you make a giant dinner for 60 to 80 men. We'd do like big pasta or um, just meals that serve a lot of people, big spaghetti dishes. And it was was actually pretty wonderful experience. And you serve your food and then they break down the tables really quickly. And then they have a, then they have a religious service. So this is a Christian organization. So they would have a church service and then it would quickly go into bunk. It would go into cots. The whole room would be converted to cots. It'd be tables, chairs. So the same space where they ate in. Same space. It would would just be like, and most of the guys would be really fast turnaround. The guys that would come there on, on most nights, they knew exactly what they were doing and they'd convert it all over. And then we'd leave. But they, the men would have to stay until 6 a.m. Fantastic system. You'd go up there like, this is great. Like, this is an incentive. This is getting people off the streets. This is this is what you would want a shelter to be. And then you end up having all these people that they don't want to attend a religious service. They don't want to get Oh, because this was a religious-driven or uh, owned? Is that the it, word? Yeah. The Orange County Rescue Mission is a, a Christian organization. Is that yeah. a specific church or just a collection of churches that fund it or, or is it just a religious shelter? I, it is a shelter system and I don't know. Okay. Um, I don't, they're not really funded by, I mean, churches can donate to them as mm-hmm. part of their mission service, but it's not run by a specific okay. church. But they're now the Village of Hope. So they've got a different shelter system. But there's a, you know, there's a Los Angeles rescue mission. There's usually rescue missions in the major cities. And so there's Los Angeles Rescue Mission. That's the one that operates right on Skid Row in Los Angeles. But back to the the barriers to entry. So you've got the low barrier shelters and you've got the sh- shelters that are require a barrier. You're going to stay there for a short amount of time. And then you've got a longer term shelter that's you could be up to two years. And they also have usually have barriers to entry. And then you have what's called housing first. And that's what you're talking about, where it was trying to get people right into housing. But the problem with that is that it takes forever to build houses. Well, it takes forever. It 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 costs costs a fortune. Tons of money. And not only that, like, where's the liability situation there? Like when, when, when you're a renter, right, you have renter's insurance, the, the landlord has all kinds of insurance, you know, all that kind of stuff, but that's all basically paid for through the private market system in some way, shape or form. If you're just giving away space, you know, actual, what would be a home or an apartment or whatever, like who's also, it's not just having built it. You have to maintain it. All the utilities. I mean, are these people responsible for anything? Well, I would say no, because they they don't even need to be non-addicted. They don't need they they right. can be so, completely. So these can just be drug homes, right? Well, I... so I'm going to just go back. The theory behind them is that you just get people off. The, this is the uh, utopian, perfect world scenario. Okay, okay. that the academics cite. This some is, academics. Some academics. Well, <laughs> I don't. Maybe the about, advocate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay. So they say you build these perfect homes. You get people off the street. They're living humanely, and then they develop trust, and then you're able to get them medication, and you're you, they've got caseworkers, okay, and then so you're able to the get the- them on a program. The theory here is that you're slowly reintroducing them exactly. into normal society. Yes. 
Except that <laughs> studies have shown it the, the housing first d- doesn't necessarily the end result over time does not produce a higher quality of a life, does not reduce addiction, does not. Um, well, yeah, it get doesn't even fall. If you think programs. about it, if you end up being homeless, I think a lot of these people end up being homeless because it's mental illness, it's drug use, or whatever. Losing their home is is not the first thing that happens it's to like them. The last it's thing. one of the last things. So yeah. if you're trying to reverse this process, that's probably not the first thing to give back to them. It doesn't it doesn't wouldn't follow because they're still drug users or they still aren't gainfully employed. No. So how are they uh, I just So about 75% of the chronically homeless, and those are people that aren't, they're just homeless most of their lives. Mm-hmm. Seventy, About 75% are severely mentally ill, right. or they've had like um, psychosis induced by heavy methamphetamine use. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're bipolar. Their brains are already destroyed from Yeah, years and you don't know what, if it's the chicken or the egg, like yeah. where they, you know, with like methamphetamine, then they, they use the drug and then they, they lose their mind. Right. Or they or are, they were bipolar and they were self medicating exactly. And, yeah. and but whatever the end result is, is about seventy five percent are are chronically of chronically um, homeless people have lost their mind. Now, okay, I don't know if you noticed this, but when I was you know doing my little bit of research, and by the way, Aaron is way better at a researcher than I am, just so we're all clear. On that. We all have our strengths, <laughs> we all right? have our strengths. <laughs> but one of the things I noticed was that they seem to to be saying that the number of people who were homeless who were mentally ill was relatively small. And I just, I don't know, in my own life experience, that just doesn't feel right. And, no, there and, are studies that show it. Well, I will tell you that getting into the numbers is very, and I'm going to link all of the data that we have in our show notes. So you can go, people, our listeners can go back and read all of this for yeah. themselves. It is very difficult to get finite numbers on these. Or consistent numbers, consistent right? Consistent numbers, because you don't know what sample they're looking at. Yeah. And then, and also it's, you can't compare apples to apples because it's like, well, we're not looking at chronically homeless. We're looking at sometimes homeless and all, and they're putting all homeless together, mm-hmm. right? They're putting, and so if you're looking at someone who's sometimes who's been homeless and then they get back, they're including them in the same sample. And so it lowers the, that number of who's mentally ill. But if you look at chronically homeless, that number is very, very high. Right. So what do you do with someone who's chronically homeless, who doesn't want help or is too mentally ill to realize they need it? Yeah, I will. That's the that's. I think that right now, that is the population that we need to be talking about because yeah, everyone I, else who wants help, yeah, there's so much can available. Kind of right? find help. And yeah, I, I feel like the story of the oh, I'm just down on my luck. You know, I lost my job, um, and uh, you know, I couldn't afford rent, and my two kids and I were you know were stuck out on the street. I feel like that story is used in order to pull on our heartstrings and justify all the programs when the reality is that the real problem isn't those people because we already have programs for them or we have some. I'm not saying it's great. It's not, it's not perfect, awesome. But, but it's not like it's it's zero. There's a lot of ways that 
people in those circumstances can recover and transition into the next you know, phase of life uh, with some level of success and support. The real problem is the chronic ones. Yeah. And they're the ones that aren't, none of what, none of the program, none of this stuff seems to be making any dent in any of that. Yeah. That, I think that. That's what it feels like no, anyway. Out of everything I read, that's exactly what I, what I, the conclusion I came to as well, because everyone that stands up and says, oh, we need more money for the homeless. We're going to build houses. We're going to, we're going to do this. Now, incidentally, one of the side effects of this housing first, and we're going to build all this permanent supportive housing, affordable housing, what they diverted money away from emergency shelters. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Because there's, because it became in vogue to build these houses. It's oh, in vogue. Geez. And so then they, they are like, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to put as much money into shelters. Okay. And think about what that does. If that's correct, then that takes away from the very scenario I just described exactly. where, you know, the people who just need a temporary place. With low barriers. So you just, because yeah. really, you know, okay, in our perfect minds, again, we want people to be incentivized to get into a shelter like, you know, the Orange County Rescue Mission, like what I was talking about. We want them to get sober, get in there. That's that's our what we want. But really what we want is we want people off the street mm-hmm. because no one wants to step over a body going into Starbucks. Well, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous place to be. It's dangerous. So. Even our local beach, down our local state beach, there is a feeding uh, that they do. They call it a feeding. It's uh, local churches get together. God, I don't like that term. That sounds a feeding, like they're animals. It's a that's, feed or like, yeah. Well, that, there's- they, odd terminology. They feed the homeless. Okay. Uh, I think it's once a week and it's at a, the local state beach and they start, what it's created is an area that's not safe. Right. Because all the, all those people are I congregating. Mean, the, the thing is, uh, I just feel like we have to be a little honest with ourselves here. A lot, a, a, a large portion of the homeless people are not good people, meaning they're uh, criminals because they don't have money. So they're, you know, petty thieves, whatever. Um, they're drug users uh, and a drug user, when they need their fix, they're going to break all kinds of laws to get their fix. This is not a good subset of the population for a variety of reasons. And I'm not saying that, uh, meaning to be heartless about it. It's I'm not saying that, but we have to be honest. I mean, in the same way that not everybody in prison is a horrible person deserves to die for their crime. You know, they just, they did something they shouldn't have done and they got to pay their restitution. But, um, but they're still human beings worthy of being able to, once they've paid their, their penalty to get back out there and, and live fruitful lives. I, I feel the same way about these people. However, in their current state, they're, often very dangerous people. Um, and we, we, we have to stop pretending that this is just, you know, Aunt Martha down the street who's, who's, who's down on her luck. That's not really what we're talking about here. No. I, that, yes, that does exist. But I don't think most people, when they think about the homeless problem, that is not what we're talking about because that's not what we're experiencing that guy who was who was laying across the door in starbucks in portland he chose that space very specifically oh he wants he yeah he wants to you know 
achieve something by doing that. Um, well, probably warm coffee. Yeah, and, you know, freebies or and, whatever. And, uh, and, and for all for all changed. we know, he, he's doing that because he knows the Starbucks employees will be like, can you just leave? And he'll be like, well, yeah, yeah, give me my coffee and I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, well, I'll. and also, you know, Starbucks had a lot of issues with allowing. Well, uh, yeah, they've had, they have a checkered. Yeah. homeless to use their bathrooms. Yeah, and right. so, you know, again, we'll, and we'll get into this more, but we end up with a um, quality of life. It's like who, whose quality of who, who is allowed to demand a right to the quality of life? Because if, okay, the homeless are going to use the bathroom and they're going to wash up in the bathroom. There's water everywhere. And, you know, and then uh, this, well, there's, there's disease, there's yeah. drug paraphernalia. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, your eight year old, you know, boy, and his brother are going in there. <laughs> I mean, so they're the eight year old and the brother also have a right to a quality of life. You're right. And so, but, they, but, and they don't have the wherewithal to understand the dangers that they could be walking into. They assume yeah. that they're just going into a regular old. <laughs> well, I, I, there was, this was last a uh, couple of years ago. I follow a local group, crying group for local San Clemente. And she talked about a story. She was in our local Michaels and she walked in. And there was a homeless person who was also a drug addict sort of walking out when they walked in and they walked in. And I mean, this is this is graphic, but the bathroom is dirty. But there was they had person had been using probably some kind of injectable drug Mm -hmm. and there was blood on the sink. And and it was like you're just you're recoiling from that because you're you're you don't want to get next to it. It's horrible looking. But then you're also thinking about that. This person is reduced to this. And well, that, but it's also affecting my life and I don't want to get next to, you know, it, I, I should be allowed to go into the Michael's bathroom and not have to see that. Yeah. There, again, it, it produces so many emotions when, when something like that happens. And so is Michael's should be saying, this is only for our customers, but there's been lawsuits that saying that's discrimination. So yeah. no one can win. Well, yeah. And that's probably in certain parts of the country uh, where they are more likely to, you know, a place like San Francisco where they're going to make it so that uh, you cannot keep them out of there, even if they're not a customer. Well, I also want to get into that, uh, um, sort of follow that subject a little bit more. We talked about earlier, what should you do with a person who is mentally ill or addicted, somehow not able to take care of them? And they're on the streets. Should you be allowed to say, we have an anti-camping ordinance? You can't. And in fact, there was a Supreme Court case, Boise versus Martin, and it was determined that you cannot. um, Actually, it was it it didn't go to the Supreme Court. It was like a magistrate judge in in Boise. But the Supreme Court has decided they're not going to hear these cases. So so they're meaning let it stand. Exactly. And so. What they're saying is that if you do not have shelter space available for uh, a citizen in your county or your jurisdiction, you cannot enforce an anti-camping. On public land. On public land. Right. So on private land, you I'm sure you'd still be able to. Well, yeah. I mean, but but sidewalks fall under really gray air. Sidewalks are mostly public. Sidewalks are not private. Yeah, but couldn't you just make a safety argument there? Well, it's not really. They mm-hmm. they so they didn't say it's all out, but they didn't 
give spe- specifications right, it's, on it's, it's gray they so, left it yeah, gray okay. so you can't just say um there's no camping and everyone's gone but you also can't say it's 100 you're allowed to so i think up in Sac- sacramento you're allowed to stay on the um i think you're allowed to sleep on the uh whatever the patio or the steps of the capitol maybe overnight but you're not allowed to be there during the day and so you know we had that up in uh the county or in um in Santa Ana, it was like 2017. Um, it was going up multiple years before that. Where right at the Civic Center, you couldn't even get into the Civic Center because it was so packed with tents, and it was difficult to disperse them because there weren't enough shelter beds to rehouse the, all these this people. This is why you know the, the one of the reasons why the uh, the county seats or or uh, uh, state capitals can just be just hell holes because that's public land that all these vagrants can Gravity essentially toward. be at. Yeah. And, and, and there's nothing anybody can do from based on this ruling. There is nothing anyone can do except that Sacramento right now is working on a program where it's called right to shelter. And so they want to have enough shelters to say, we have enough beds that are low that are they're low barrier so they're like if you're on the street you have to go into a shelter since we have a bed for you mm-hmm. like we're not going to give you the choice and so they've been experimenting with that up in Sacramento to try to get people off the street but then you end up with the whole issue of where do these shelter okay if every town's supposed to have a shelter because every town is spo- is supposed to well but it shouldn't have to be at the town level or community. I mean, to me, this has to be at a state level issue. I I one hundred percent believe yeah, it should I mean, be a you state can't, level. I mean, how do you force a small town to have? You know, what if that town has uh, an inordinate number of vagrants for some reason? I think then they're going to house them all. Yeah, how are they going to yeah. house them? That's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, they ship them around. Too. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think it would have to be at the state level, and the state would be like, okay, well, here's your bus ticket. You're going to. You know, I shelter personally such and think such. it should be there should be state shelters throughout the state of California. There should be enough. If we've got a hundred and, you know. But the thing is, these people just aren't going to go. They'll. But you shouldn't be allowed to be on the street. Oh, if I we, agree. If I agree. the law says. Listen, I, I stand by my premise here. The real problem is the drug user or the mentally ill. Okay. Yeah. These people don't play by our rules in any way, exactly. shape or form. So they're going to, they're going to be wherever they need to be to get their drugs. And, you know, where that, where money is going to be easy to be gotten, where the drugs are going to be easy to gotten. And that is not going to be in some shelter in some rural part of the county. Except if you're forced to go there. Well, that's what I'm saying. They they won't. Yeah. They'll, they'll leave immediately. There's no way they're going to stay there. Well, there was, you know, California has passed over the past 10 years, a series of realignment laws that have lowered felony convictions down to misdemeanors. Well, yeah, that's a whole... But part of the yeah. part of the unintended consequence, or maybe it was intended, who knows, is that they took out a lot of the drug court offenses mm-hmm. and so, because they lowered penalties for carrying drugs, selling drugs. They really lowered them. And so they didn't raise to the um, level of needing to go through drug court. And as a result of not going through drug court, a lot of which is considered basically a diversion program. So someone gets busted for drugs, either selling, main, having, using or whatever, they go through and they get put in a drug court system, which includes a treatment program. And so in order to expunge your record, you have to go through this program. You have right. to tell the judge you're doing it. And so then that 
maybe you, at the end, you had a higher percentage of people who would go through these programs mm-hmm. who then would become clean. They would be getting off the street. They'd be because they'd be. Yeah, at least some, it's probably a small percentage, but at least some percentage. They wouldn't be lost yeah. in the system. Yeah. They wouldn't just disappear as people, right? right? And so now. So what you're saying now, they don't even get to that point. So they no, never. They, no, they, they, they just are, they're just out on the street, just flopping around. And you don't really know. They haven't been pulled into the system through, you know, legal means. And so they're even, they're even more disappeared. Okay. Let me, let me ask a, a couple questions here. I just thought. Thought provoking questions. Did we have a problem like this with homelessness a hundred years ago? We didn't. Okay. And there why? Were, well, so in the 1950s, or actually, okay, the 1950s was uh, Thorazine was approved as a drug, and so that was given to people for antipsychotic. It was an antipsychotic, okay? okay? And it was thought at that time that people with schizophrenia or serious bipolar then could be sort of be back into society. And around a little bit later, states were defunded for their shelters. And uh, you mean mental facilities? M- or? Mental facilities. Yeah. So beds went down. So 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 what you're what you're basically saying is that we had psychiatric hospitals. Or what do we call them? Asylum. We used to call them insane asylums. Well, right? and you know those, and but those also had a very bad rap. I mean, they were right. people were treated terribly well, in there, and so which is why there was a movement, I think, to to get rid of them. To get rid of them, but they were off the streets, but they were being tr- being treated terribly. So we haven't ever seen a system where it's been both, where they've been humanely but, treated. But now, I mean, do we even have insane asylums? I mean, there are. Okay, here in 1955, there were 555,000 patients in facilities and in 2016, there were 37,000. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> mental and the, illness and, did and not go away. The population has probably doubled yeah. since then. Mental so, illness did not go away. We just are not Right. Putting We're, them in facilities anymore. Right. And so they are by definition then probably out on the streets because these are people who aren't going to be able to have a job. And, no, and they cannot kind of take they care can't, of themselves. They can't take care of themselves. So, so, so that would make sense then. That's why my experience dealing with homeless is dealing with that kind of person who is clearly mentally uh, – there's a mental problem there of some kind and or drugs – Probably both in most cases. I'm I'm going to speculate. Well, like it's like what we just said. You can't. Drugs could have caused the mental illness, right. or they could have been uh, medicating because they right. were mentally ill. But so, whereas we used to have a system where we could put them in facilities, flawed as it was, now we don't have that. So now they're just out on the street. Okay, so if that's true, and I think that's a reasonable, you know, argument to be made, then. Are the people better off living on the streets? I don't think so. I, I, I don't. I mean, isn't that, that's the question, right? Yeah. Because if they're not, then maybe the right answer wasn't to shut down all the hospitals. It was to see how we could make these kind of facilities actually operate in a humane way. Are we saying that there was no way to do that? Medicaid pulled the funding. For, oh, no, I get there's yeah. all, there's, there's financial reasons. I'm just yeah. saying as a society. Are we are we arguing as a society that you cannot have mental health facilities for at least this large portion of the homeless population that suffer from mental illness? 
I think it comes down to, well, argument are people who argue against it. It comes down to a liberty issue because they say, no, we shouldn't. But aren't we st- having the liberty issue? Is it, it just was what you were saying, right? Yeah. We're, we're going to we're going to create shelters thereby since we have a place for you to be. We're going to forcibly take you to the shelter. I mean, how is that any different? It, Except that they're not actually getting any treatment at the shelter. They're just getting a place where they have to sleep for the night. Sometimes they will have access to a path towards mental Yeah, but it's services. not it, it's not that you're right. But, it's, it's and not, they it, might have an intake. They might be assigned a caseworker, but can are they gonna follow through yeah, on that? Yeah. It's 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 not treatment as it's such. It's not treatment. There are laws in California and there is something called Laura's Law, and that is assisted outpatient service where you can sort of force someone to be on a uh, system of treatment. Okay. And then, of course, we've all heard of a 5150, and that is where you can put a hold on someone for 72 hours. And, you know, that is... But that's usually, they have to be a danger to themselves or to others, right? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy encompasses a lot of, like, you know, diagnoses, obviously. Yeah, right. So mainly we're looking at schizophrenia. You know something's wrong. Bipolar, yeah, okay? you know something is seriously or wrong. Or psychosis from that. We can tell. It's so, it's so, there, there's something so seriously wrong yes. that just a, a, an onlooker can see there's a yeah. problem. Yeah. So that's, that's, so I, I feel like the homeless problem is really not that. It's not about not having a home. It's like, okay, these people, they're they're homeless for a reason. And just providing them a, a place to sleep, even on a temporary basis, and certainly not on a permanent basis, is gonna solve this problem. How does how does that solve a problem? If if you're homeless because you're a drug drug addict and now I've given you a free place to do your drugs, how did I fix anything? And you by the way, fixed, you have not raised anyone's quality of life. No, in fact, I, maybe I've made it worse because what about, uh, you know, he's in an apartment building. What about his neighbors? Exactly. And what if they are actually trying to get themselves, you know, out of these, these horrible circumstances? I mean, it's just. Well, I mean, that comes <sighs> into. So say you you go through a treatment program in, in your, um, you know, say you get in. Just let's just take one example of this. You go, you commit a crime. You go through, and it's a drug-related offense, and so you go through drug court, and then you get put into a treatment plan, and you get put into a sober house. And, you know, we lived next door to a sober house for years, so I have a lot. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. That's right. We And so let's talk about quality of life. Yeah. We, we had to live next door to that sober house, and, I mean, it was terrible. It was, and we didn't even live next to what, quote, unquote, a bad one. Yeah. We lived right. next door to a good one. But we had to listen to we. I mean, just the cigarette smoke alone. Let's just that was yeah, terrible. Yeah, how many guys were there? It was a, bu- a bunch of people, right? Seven or eight guys right. rotating. You know, they have no they have no um, allegiance to the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and so they don't care uh, about what the neighborhood looks like. Mm-hmm. And you know, a whole different subject. But what's related is a lot of um, the libertarians. Anyway, they blame a lot of homelessness on. Zoning, and they believe the zoning ordinances have caused uh, the housing crisis. Basically, we planned ourselves into today's housing shortage by valuing space. Um, you know, large spaces, green belts, single-family home uh, housing, and as a result, that's left a lot of the low-cost housing, affordable housing, within the city centers to be. Um, a lot less than it was. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that single family housing has been, 
is parts of California are the best parts of California. However, it's obviously spreads out housing. So you you have a lot fewer people in a um, in a given space than you would with multifamily housing. And yeah. neighborhoods are special, right? I mean, I've heard this argument about how when people left the cities and went into the suburbs that they got rid of low-income housing. But I don't know. I mean, a lot of these places that people were how did the people afford to do it in the first place? I mean, how did the transition occur unless unless there was a, an in-kind transaction that was that was happening there? I just find this argument oddly confusing. And if if there is a, a an area where there's no low-income housing, then who's going to do the services for the people, you know, the quote-unquote rich? You see what I'm saying like th- this well, I this, think this situation largely tends tends to resolve itself. With, well, does it though? I, I mean, I, well, it has to. Otherwise, how does a society ever function? Well, I think we're seeing the breakdown of that. Yeah, but th- this is a different kind of a breakdown. I, I mean, if if the premise that homelessness is driven more by drug use and mental health than it is by you know the alternatives, the you know the story that everybody likes to tug heartstrings with at least the the chronic homelessness i guess because that's really what we're talking we're talking about, about chronic homelessness. the temporary homelessness i think we have a I, I think there's a lot of especially in a state like california there's a lot of support to get through a temporary situation the chronically homeless these people the, the these people have problems they're chronically homeless for a reason either by choice there's some people that might choose that life but most likely because they got mental illness and or drug you know, chronic drug users. This notion that we have a homeless problem because we don't have enough cheap housing, I, I'm just never really been swayed by that argument. Something just doesn't feel right about that. It sounds like a, a very lazy academic argument to me. People are homeless because they can't afford to live anywhere. I don't know. In order for that to be true, then the governments must always be making the right zoning decisions uh, before 1950. I, I don't know. It's just something is not right well, about that. Well, so before 1950, early 1900s, they weren't making really any zoning. And so you had these large tenements and rambling not, city not, centers. Not everywhere. Uh, there were a lot. And so they. In big cities. In big cities. Yeah, of course. And I, they, they cleared them out. Because right. they were, they're ugly. They, you know, infect. They're disease ridden, and they were replaced with sort of lower density, better looking housing that's more expensive. Right. And as a result, you where the cities, you know, in the city centers, you assume you're going to have your laborers working within the city center, so they have a close association with their, you know, labor intensive jobs within the city. Right. And with without that housing, yeah. But again, this. But this is that's so. But there's many issues here. We can talk about the biggest issue, okay? Which is the area, you know, which is the chronically homeless. And so that you know, I think that's the real issue here. But I mean, there are other little. There the, are there other are, issues. But I f- I feel like those are small and they're reasonably well managed in most states, both through private and public programs. And maybe I'm just totally wrong, and and I I would love for a listener to to point that out, you know. And and by that I mean, 
a person who is not a drug user and who does not have a mental health problem and who is not an illegal immigrant, okay, because that's, that's a whole nother thing, who is chronically homeless. It just doesn't feel like that that population is, is, is sizable to me. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's not it, there. I mean, if we're talking, you know, such a high 70% or, or 75% or of chronically homeless are drug addicted or mentally ill. Yeah. I mean, we can see that in that number right there. I, also, I wanted to actually specifically talk about okay. before we go any further, how they count these people. Because that, that is something, how do okay. we get to 161,000 right. homeless? That's and it's called a point in time count. And so it's developed by um, Housing and Urban Development, is HUD. Yeah. And um, they have people who operate continuums, continuums of care. And those would be local shelters, whoever is providing care to the homeless within mm-hmm. any given jurisdiction. Or and they're, they're doing head counts. They're going out, and it's usually the last 10 days of January every year, and they go out and they do counts. Okay. So that's how we get all these statistics. All right. So that's important for us to, to yeah, know. Just, uh, yeah, because and, – and they're they're obviously estimates because by their nature, homeless people aren't going to be – easy to count. They're not going to be easy to yeah. count, but HUD actually has a very specific uh, uh, resource for how you're going to go out and count these people and to be, I mean, you do take samples when samples need to be, you know, we need to do estimates. However, they've got, they're like, you can't double count people. Like we really need to like know what these numbers are. So they do strive for accuracy. So I just want our listeners to know that yeah. these numbers aren't pulled out of thin air, that mm-hmm. uh, all across the United States that during the last week of January, they didn't do it in January 2021. They had to because of COVID and they, they waited. But generally every year they go out and they count how many people we've got mm-hmm. living. And then I think that they can look in those numbers and decide who's chronic and who's not, who's drug addicted, who's not. And Now, I do want to at least touch on, you know, there are, there are people who have an argument that the homeless problem is at least to some extent intentionally created that is to say that it is it is useful for politicians and or certain businesses or types of businesses to have a homeless population because that allows certain laws to be passed that might be beneficial government contracts to be assigned there's a money stream here and as we know in California would you say 15 billion dollars mm-hmm. yep so obviously there's a lot of money in homelessness. Now, I agree that most of that's probably not going to the homeless people, but needless to say, a lot of money is being spent here. If you can convince the taxpayers that $15 billion is a worthy cause, there's an awful lot of people who are in the business of homelessness well, who are making it, a lot of money. It actually has a name. Oh, what it's is it? called the Homeless Industrial Complex. Okay. All right. So good. I'm, I'm glad I'm not just... No, <laughs> you're absolutely right. So, so okay. So the people that, that argue that this is an intentionally created problem, at least in part, or intentionally perpetuated problem, is there a retort to that? Or are they essentially correct? Well, we could look at what, what would be the end result for all the people who are advocates of solving the problem. Well, I think they would all lose uh, their I mean, jobs. Uh, well, when you say advocate, you're not just saying an advocate, but a person who's 
in the in the business in the business in, they're with yeah. they're operating within the homeless industrial yeah. complex. And I, I'd be willing to bet, especially in a, a state like California, that a majority of the money is actually coming from taxpayers and not from, say, churches and stuff. So you have this massive amount of money being injected into the quote unquote problem. Well, we have fifteen billion. Yeah, we know 15 that in California. And dollars. my number says fifteen billion here it since two thousand twenty, California has committed fifteen billion towards homelessness. Right. That's committed I don't know that what how many years that's gonna be spent over. Right. But, but I mean it the, doesn't the, really matter. The point is it's yeah. it's an enormous amount of money. And obviously, people – there's an industry going to be built up around this. And especially when we talk things like permanent shelters or permanent sheltering of chronically homeless, well, okay, now you have a developer involved and now you have the, the people managing the – I mean, there's a whole – Social services. Yeah. You're, there's you're, whole you're creating a massive – Bureaucratic – Bureaucratic – Leviathan. Yeah. And, and so – I, I, I think – I know there's people on various ends of the political spectrum, some who believe that this is totally intentional and others who say, oh, no, that they would never do that. But I again, if you're one of those people who think that the government is only ever altruistic and you know we're only, we're only trying to help the homeless and there isn't a bunch of corrupt, evil, money-grubbing jerks who are actually – profiting from this i i think you're you're extremely naive well the theme of our podcast is usually that the government that's operating anything it's not even uh, possible for it to be altruistic really just by its uh, very nature uh, yeah not not in in whole not for in sure whole, no. and and altruism essentially cannot happen from a government but can happen by, by individuals in the government and to the extent that you have you have honorable people running government, you can have an altruistic situation. But as soon as those honorable people have been replaced with people of less honor, or whatever you want to call it, that will evaporate immediately. And I think people get confused by that. They say, well, the, the government is has good people in it. Therefore, everything the government does must be good because those are good people. No, that's not the way it works. They can be perfectly good people. I, but if you're operating within a machine, you right. don't really, yeah, you don't really realize you're a cog on the wheel. No. You're just moving along. You're just absolutely. You're not. just like, oh, I, my job until I retire is to assist this homeless, this industrial complex. Yeah, this homeless. I don't know anything different. Right. I mean, here's a quote from Reason Magazine uh, from 2020. Reason which, Magazine being a libertarian. They're libertarian. Yeah. yeah. Based on its poor track record, one wonders if government even wants to solve the poverty program. Seattle, for instance, spends roughly 100000 per homeless resident of the city on homeless relief programs. The major beneficiaries of this public largesse are charity organizations that claim to assist the poor, but use that money to pay themselves salaries in excess of 200000 for a single executive. Major agencies, including the Department of Health and Human Services, employ tens of thousands of people. Yeah, see, and I think... And, and from what I know about Seattle, the problem is getting worse. Right. It's not getting better. Not well, getting better. No, and I think that was a big topic in the in the uh, previous election cycle, in, in Seattle specifically, um, that they have been throwing all this money and it's not getting any better. So... A lot of times I think the typical voter is always just thinking on a very superficial level. I want to help the homeless or, uh, well, you know, let's do it for the children. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's not that simple. And just giving money to the government or authorizing the government to spend money, which therefore means they're going to have to raise taxes to pay for things, um, which is essentially the same thing as you know taking money from the taxpayer directly, it's not going to solve the problem. It's well, not going to solve the problem. not for people that don't want to be helped. Right. Because we come full circle back to that subset. Right. I mean, the thing is, I think most of us have had experience either in our family or friends or we somehow know uh, the problem of drug addiction. I think most Americans have had some experience dealing with that or perhaps even in yourself, but minimally with a with a friend, an acquaintance or a family member. And you'll know when you deal with that, that the drug user is by and large not motivated to quit. That's, Most of the time That's they the aren't. default situation. Yes. They are not ready to quit because they've tried it before and they've failed. And it can be an incredibly traumatizing experience to go through. And they don't want to do it again. Well, and some people are addiction for them is just even at such a deep level that that coming out of addiction is almost impossible. Yeah. Well, it gets it can get to that yeah. point for sure. And if that's the case, then what is what are we doing just throwing money at a permanent shelter for a drug user? How it just I, it gives it's like a temporary salve for people. Yeah, yeah. people you're the, doing it. Okay, okay. This is one of one of the things yeah. I remember when I was in, when I was young I used to to argue this just for the hell of arguing, but would say being charitable is an act of selfishness. Yeah. Because it makes you feel good. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm not saying, obviously, that, that that doesn't mean you shouldn't be charitable. No, you should be charitable. But, but however, you need to actually like not be blindly charitable. Yeah, right. And you saying, yeah, we need to give money to the homeless because you think that you're somehow being charitable by doing that. No, you're just being selfish uh, if you're looking at this superficially because, oh, I'm voting for the people that are going to help make this better. It's like, what does that mean? Can you please break that yeah, down for me? Right. Tell me what your end game is here. Well, like, for instance, we've got these local churches that are feed, and I've just talked about this earlier, that are feeding the homeless at, Do- at Doheny. And it, there has been a big fight within the local community. What does Christian charity mean? We are supposed to help the downtrodden. Right. Now, is it helping? The, is a short-term meal helping the downtrodden? And I argue that it's not. And some people, but then the other side of the argument is you need to just help people and meet them in their current need. So we end up with this giant conflict of what that means to meet someone in their current need, a warm meal right now because they're starving, or are you trying to fix them for the long term? Mm -hmm. Like we cannot be blind about all the pieces of this. If you're going to be having a feeding local homeless and then there's trash left behind. There's rats that come in. There's it's trash, it, and then if you have to pay for city services to mm-hmm. to come and collect all that trash, then that's money out of taxpayers' pockets who maybe don't want to participate. So they're participating in a feeding program that they have chosen not to participate in. You can't just whistle past the graveyard here. It, 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 it's such a big subject, and to just say, "Oh, we're just going to be charitable, meet them in their need right need right now," it's like the entire society has needs. Well, they just look different. Well, you have to ask yourself, what is the actual need? Well, they, I mean, they would say, oh, this person is hungry and we need to feed them right now. Are they starving? No. Then what is the need? 
what is the actual? I mean, need? what does starving look like? Can we go to like? Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like, like tr- true starvation? Yeah, these no. people aren't actually starving. Okay, no. So they're just hungry, which I can appreciate. Obviously, nobody wants to be hungry, but they're not starving. They're not starving. No. Okay. So, what is their actual need? Their actual need is not the meal to make their hunger go away, or the the twenty dollars given by the government so they can go get high again. They also want that. Their actual need is to get to the root of of why they're in this position in their life to begin with. Yeah, exactly. That's that's their need. We're we're all just pretending, you know. We're, we want to feel good because oh yeah, I gave the uh, the homeless guy you know food for the night, or I gave him a place to sleep tonight on my dime. That makes me feel good. But did you actually change this person's life? Probably not. Because you're not really dealing with the problem here. You're just, you're just, it's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid. I, I believe it's, there's a lot of people that would disagree with us. I, 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 I have always felt that it was a Band-Aid personally. I, I can appreciate um, that. There are, there are people who are nurturing people though, and that's naturally what they're going to gravitate towards and be out and beating people right, right then. So I, I don't want to take that away from that. There is good that comes by being kind to people. I agree with that. But it's usually on a very person-to-person individual level. It's not on a governmental level. It's it's not not. on a bureaucratic level because that's all meaningless. Yeah. That cardboard box with with the free meal is meaningless to that homeless person other than the In the long term, yes. Well, even in the short – I mean – Beyond a couple days. Yeah. I don't – it's going to last 30 minutes because they're just not hungry now. That's all that you did. It meant nothing. You know, that's all the government did, I should say. Now, if a person came and sat with a homeless person and you actually interacted with them and you made person-to-person contact, I think that can make an impact Which is what they did on the mission trip to Hawaii. Right. It was a lot more. It was very impactful. It's a very, it's a whole different attitude, Mm -hmm. right? And usually the kind of, Things are going to do that. Religious, usually, religious organizations that are doing that. And I'm sorry, but I I do submit to the fact or subscribe to the notion that a lot of these people are spiritually in need. Oh, that right? goes without saying. Yes, absolutely. Well, and no, it, it's important to point that out because in our overly secularized worldview now, okay, that's I not see even considered going. by most people. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of think we're at a point now where a majority of Americans are essentially not, not religious. Oh, that's, that's right? been determined. Yes. It's been, okay. So. Yeah. Or they call themselves religious, religious yeah, and they but, ask them questions. They're like, um. Yeah. But you don't. That's not religious. That's not what we think. You, you go to, I'm religious, but I go to church on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so a lot of people don't understand that the drug user became a drug user because he was spiritually empty. You know, that's a thing. That's real. Yeah. That's a real thing. And I think, you know, church missions, they understand this. They understand that that is a component to this whole problem, which is why they approach it in the way that, that they approach it, as opposed to just the government giving you your cardboard box and a meal or your your cot to sleep on for the night. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where we've come full circle back to where these the religious oriented missions, for example, like the rescue mission, uh, Orange County Rescue Mission, where they've got, you know, you it is a church based mm-hmm. program. Right. 
and you I, I, are incentivized I, to move through the program. Yeah, there's an actual – I suspect that their success rate, if you want to look at it that way, is low. But I'd be willing to bet it's way higher than the government's. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, and if there is a function for the government here, if everything I'm saying has merit, uh, if my arguments – as poorly as I've made them in this podcast, but I think people kind of understand where I'm coming from. But if, if, if my arguments have merit, then what is the function of the government in this problem? And I would say it's to, to provide mental health in conjunction with um, drug programs, like ones that actually work with people who are actually serious about getting off the drugs. But not saddle the those treatment programs, though, on the backs of, of, of citizen, you know, everyday citizens. I mean, for instance, the sober homes, those were considered drug treatment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. you're, no, but you're no. putting those into neighborhoods. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah I, I would not be for that, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that, that um, ends up... No, this, this has to be, you know, you have to have facilities set aside. Like, we used to have facilities set aside. And yes, you can absolutely argue that they were badly... I mean, there's all there were problems. No question yeah. about it. But... We've come so far. You yeah, can't don't you think we could do those. better now? Oh, this the transparency. We the mental health, the 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 medications we have available. Well, for and people. also just the our concepts of. I mean, let's face. I mean, they did. When was the last lobotomy? Yeah, it was probably in the fifties. I I don't know something. Like, I mean, it was. I mean, we have one flu- nobody one floors over the cuckoo's, cuckoo's nest, and <laughs> you know, it's like nobody would ever yeah. do something like that today. Yeah. Well, forcefully take someone's well not legally let's not put it legally, that way right? yeah, not in the united states yeah in the united states and that you know we we end up with a lot of comparisons oh we could do it like this country we could do it like this country like the united states is unique we in we value our liberty here uh we value uh freedom of expression and so we have to be really careful about how how all the puzzle pieces fit together while giving everyone a quality of life and Someone living on the streets, mentally ill, that is not a quality of life that's acceptable to me. It's not acceptable to them. Uh, It's not. We shouldn't think it's acceptable for them. It's certainly not acceptable to the citizenry. No, that are that are having to deal with that problem. So we cannot let it stand. But we have to stop thinking that that the problem is because they just don't have a home. That is not the problem with homelessness. It isn't because they don't have a home. It's because they are somehow damaged human beings they are damaged they in as we said before there are peripheral issues there are there are people that face homelessness there are poverty level we actually have a very high poverty here in the state of california i mean there are studies that children in poverty homes that are in the po- below the poverty level are, move all the time more than once a year mm-hmm. every time a child moves then they have to reacculate to a new, there may be a new school district, a new atmosphere, yeah. and then that lowers their their testing scores. So if you if you are in poverty, it's very difficult to pull yourself out of that cycle because you're moving all the time. Sure. Yeah. And so that that is that is an no, issue. That's, it is an issue. Although I, <laughs> I would argue that in California, that is driven primarily by the illegal immigration. Um, I'd be willing to bet that a huge portion of that population is exactly that, and. Um, if you didn't have that, that the problem would be vastly reduced, at least in this state. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got uh, the Hispanics make up 39 percent of the um, 
population in California, and, and they make up about 36% of the um, homeless population. Right. But I'm saying of this this kind of um, – this more poverty-driven kind of thing that you were describing, yeah. you know, outside of just homelessness. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a huge component of that is going to be because yeah. you show up here with nothing. You yeah. don't even speak English probably. Yeah. So it's very hard to get where, a good paying job. Yeah, Where are you going to get a job? And now you got, and you're also probably brought your kids with you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's a huge problem. I mean, just one example of why illegal immigration is so devastating. It's, um, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Cause they, well, they come in and also they become part of a hidden society. Yeah. They do. And when you're a part of a hidden society, it's very hard to... Yeah, how do you break out of that? You can't break out of that. Yeah. And so you can be a part of the hidden society if you're a drug user, if you're mentally ill, if you don't speak a language. And, and Well, you, you're not necessarily... You can be you know, within your own society where everyone's speaking your language. However, you if you don't have money, if you're... You just, you just sort of disappear mm-hmm. and you're part of the disappearing society. So that is a whole group. But as far as that's a harder issue to solve, but the issue of well, I think it's an easier. <laughs> well, no, I'm not talking about illegal immigration. Right, okay. I'm talking about just the poverty level in general. Yeah, just, po- well, yes, right, and and um, you know, poverty becomes a problem as the economies wax and wane, and yeah, and I don't know that you can ever really get rid of it, right? It's 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 always going to exist, and it's always going to require uh, constant. Um, vigilance on the part of society to try to minimize it in a humane and meaningful way. But I think when we're talking about homelessness, that's not really what we're talking about. No. And we're, we're, we're getting specifically into the, this subset of chronically homeless, mentally ill, which is not a tiny number. It's not. And it's, so if it was a small percentage, then we wouldn't really even be having this conversation. But since it represents a large percentage mm-hmm. of the chronically homeless. Well, we, listen, the, the mother who lost her job, okay, and yeah. couldn't pay rent. and Who and, is the and, one all the news people talk yeah, about. And right, right. She's the face. She's the face. And the, she's evicted. And yeah. she's, got her two, she's got her two kids. And she's got nowhere to live now. She's not the one laying across the sidewalk blocking the door to Starbucks. No. Typically, that, it's it's white males, Hispanic white males, and above like forty five. To be uh, honest, age wise, age wise, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I know we didn't really get into the demographics here, and part of that is I almost don't want to because I, I feel like it sidetracks the issue, yeah. right? The issue isn't because you're, and I did see a lot of that online, a lot of um, especially. Policy organizations, yeah, yes. or 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 uh, universities, yeah. Um, they talk about systemic racism and all this kind of stuff as being the problem. And I, I'm sorry, I, I just that that's just ridiculous. And I'm sorry if that offends it people. It is a that it's is a totally screen, totally ridiculous. Yeah. That guy laying in front of Starbucks is not there because he's black, okay, or brown or whatever. That is crap. Now I will say. More if you're if you're black or brown. I gotta hate these terms, but uh, are you more likely to be poor than than if you're white yes. in America? Yeah, that's probably true, especially in in certain areas. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't that's not what turned you into a mental patient slash drug user homeless person. There's nothing to do with skin color, zero. Especially mental illness. Yeah. So again, it's. You have to ask yourself the question, why is that being talked about so much? 
Well, okay. As I was reading all of my arguments or or all of my articles, it seemed like that was the easiest way for people to get money. Yeah, that's where that's where. And so you you would. I read a couple articles from like Policy Cal Cal Works or I I can't remember what they were um, off the top of my head, and it was like all every buzzword you could use systemic racism and yeah. I, all, all it's of just the, the it's the thing now it's yeah, it's and like, it was like it's almost like a fad and they were just like saying things i'm like wait a minute you're, you're talking as if all of the homeless people aren't mentally ill like it was this and so we're just if we just build more houses it's suddenly gonna make mental illness go away right <laughs> or it's gonna make drug addiction go away and it's it, like it, we have the roots are so much deeper so much deeper and so um it seemed to me that it was money grab. It seems like a money grab, right? To because me, then you can the say because it's really easy now in a lot of government, state capitals, the federal level, and in bureaucracies to say, "Oh, well, we've identified a systemic racist situation, uh, and it's easily solvable by simply uh, assigning money to it." Yeah, and it's everybody, this big and, shadow, and everybody's and like, like, "Oh, yeah, that makes oh, perfect yeah. sense. Of course, oh, yeah. yeah, we need to give more money." I mean, that's again so so intellectually lazy. It's very easy to produce intellectually lazy papers. Oh, absolutely. And And without a lot of depth using big, you know, chronically used buzzwords mm -hmm. that get everyone riled up because then that causes people to want to donate money to failed plans. That 15 billion, (laughs) that's all of our money. Right. So it's... That's a huge amount of money. And I and I would be willing to bet there will be more homeless, not less, when they're done spending that money. Yeah, our our homeless problem is only growing. It's and I think bigger, until yeah. we're ready to face the music and be prepared to actually say people cannot live on the street, we need to somehow in accordance with the law, we need to somehow create these shelters. In areas that aren't going to impact local neighborhoods, because did you know, you know where Sprout, you know where the Sprouts is? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Right. yeah local right. market. There, yeah, yeah. Local market. They that was going to be a shelter. At one point, they were they were throwing that around as put, being a shelter. <laughs> and and so for people to understand, this is in a um a shopping center, so it would be like uh, one of the anchor stores of a shopping center. It was a it was a dying shopping center though, yeah, but, at the time, but there but was like really barely. You want to know what would have killed the dying oh, shopping center? That would have been the final nail, <laughs> been, the death and, nail. And, and now we it's it's once, it's once again a thriving shopping center. But yeah. had they done that, that would have been the end. Yeah, and look at the ripple effect that would have had. Yep, all the teenagers in the neighborhoods here, they wouldn't have the jobs that they're all you know because yeah. it's probably mostly teenage labor there. Um, you wouldn't have the services there. Uh, the tax thriving. base would go. The, the tax bases there would go because most most municipalities uh, thrive on on business taxes, right? They do because you know Proposition Thirteen in California that keeps our property uh, homeowners. Property tax low oh, does no, not it doesn't, apply. I, I, well, it, it keeps, keeps it, it from, from increasing. increasing at a at too fast yes. of a rate. Yeah, but then in, it <laughs> only is so properties are only reassessed when they're sold. So it, the it rate of increase is slowed down. That does not apply to um, business business properties. Right. So many municipalities recover lost property tax revenue through through the business development business, yeah. business development. And as a result, they're going to tend to go towards business development right. and got not go towards housing. Okay, right. Which then that's another thing that's blamed on lack of housing. However, we've got this gorgeous shopping center now. 
its employees a lot of people. That parking lot for I mean, I grew up here for years. That the, the parking lot was dead. It was mm-hmm. completely empty. There's two sort of old junky stores that were in there and the rest were sort of closed down and the whole thing's been revitalized and most of the time you can't even find parking mm-hmm. in that and which is lovely and so they they wanted to build a shelter there would have impacted the neighborhood but then you get into this not in my backyard so then what do you do you got to build the shelters to get the people off the street yeah but they don't have to be here they that's what i'm saying you, I, where do you build them you can put them on put them on the bus <laughs> what we, I mean, we have to in california again, it, find places to put these it, it's not about the shelters, the shelter. I think that the the obsession with shelters is the problem in a lot of ways. Well, then where? Are you, well, okay, shelter, Could, mental illness facility, whatever. Well, you that's call a big. It. That's a big difference because one is actually tr- theoretically okay, treating. I'm using the, the. I'm using interchangeable. Okay, language. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So or I'm I'm using language that's not interchangeable. Right. Yeah. I, I, what I yeah. mean by. I, I'm actually talking about a mega facility. Yeah. You, so, so an actual, you're, you're saying in our happy world here, yes. they would be going to a facility for treatment to deal with the, whatever the fundamental problem yeah. is to the extent that it can be treated. And that's another thing I think we have to kind of come to grips with is that not everyone's going to Not everybody's fixed. treatable. Not yeah. everybody's fixable. Yeah. But just because you're not fixable doesn't mean you're allowed to, to, to have anyone step over you co- going correct. into a store. Because as correct. a society, we need to say it is unacceptable for a person to lay in a sleeping bag where I'm stepping over them. Not for me, for them. We, we can't, we, that is a bar so low that we, we can't. Yeah. Or, or to use the streets as a public latrine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the list goes on and on publicly using drugs. No, yeah. none of these things should be allowed. And yet in most of these big cities now, not only is it allowed, it's protected. And I would argue it's actually encouraged because these people are getting paid um, in San Francisco. I think it's every two weeks they they go, they line up, and they get they just get base they just get money. They give them straight up money every two weeks, just cause. And what do most of them do with that? They just turn right around and go buy their drugs because they're drug they're drug addicts, and that's what a drug you're addict. You're not going to go buy food if you're needing no. your next drug. No, you're just not gonna, well, no and, one's going to do that. And why do you need to buy food because somebody's going to give you food anyway? Yeah. So we've explored how nuanced and difficult this is. Oh, it's a diff. It is difficult. It is a difficult, difficult complex subject. And there's, there are so many stakeholders. You know, maybe the point here is if you take anything away from this, it's that this whole notion that that we just have a housing problem. And if we just create the housing, all this goes away. If that was what you thought, I hope that we've given you something to consider that that is just an overly simplistic argument that really just falls on its face. That is not going to fix anything. In fact, it could create more problems. I would argue we don't have the answer, the solution, but one thing's for sure. What the governments have been doing over the last 50 years is made the problem worse, not better. And at some point we as a society have to wake up and say, okay, this isn't working. Whatever we're doing is wrong. We need to radically rethink what we're doing. It appears, though, that the politicians do not have the courage to do that. Well, is it courage or is it corruption? Right. That's true. Like the money, as we've established, especially in a state like California, the money train is massive. It's just unbelievable. So, So, I mean, let's be honest here. If they're going to create a huge development of permanent shelters, who's the developer? And who's he paying off at the state and local level to make sure he's the guy who gets that contract? 
Well, there's not only the developer, there's there's case managers, there's well, no, social no, workers. No, I mean, uh, there's, those, those are employees. I'm saying even to get to the point of development, right? There's a yeah. huge – and listen, people, if you don't think that goes on, then you are going <laughs> to wake up. Yeah. Because that's that's how it happens basically in every city, county, and state. That's the way it's done. All right, you got to pay off the right people to get the contracts, the big money. The big money does not come just because you had a pretty logo and you applied first. No. That's not how it works. No, they work very, very hard to get these contracts. Yeah. And they know the right people. And right. You know, the, there's no getting around that. There's, we, there's always going to be a certain amount of endemic corruption, which is essentially what I'm describing. You can't eliminate it. You have to accept that it's there, at least on a, you try to control it as much as you can. But when they've got $15 billion rolling around, <laughs> that's it's all. like, where is that money going to yeah, go? There's a lot. And, is, and of... does anyone even know where it's going to go? And well, that's the other. The fact of the matter is it nobody. Just disappears. Yeah, it just, that's, that's how they get away with it, right? Yeah. It's almost like the more money, the better it is. Yeah. As far as hiding what's happened. Yeah. How do you count $15 billion? <laughs> Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to belabor anymore. Yeah, and we could, and 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 we could belabor the subject and keep talking about it. Yeah. I think at the in conclusion, to the extent we can have a conclusion. Yeah, I mean, we're wrapping up today, saying this is so difficult, and we. I encourage anyone who listens to this to think very deeply on this subject and understand that there's so much nuance. And if there's someone saying we're going to give all this money to this group or we need to do this, to say, oh, gosh, is that is that going to help the? Is that really going to help people? Is that yeah, uh, is, is that a best use of our money? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And is is the person who is homeless is the reason he's homeless going to be resolved by doing this? Yeah. Really? Because that's that's what it comes down to. Yeah. If so why are you homeless? If if you if you're really making your decisions, um, voting or otherwise, because you care about the homeless, or you're wanting to to solve the problem because it's affecting your life and your quality of life you have to ask yourself the question is what you're voting for the people that are enacting the programs you're are they actually solving the problem that's caused the person or persons to be homeless in the first place and if you can't answer a yes to that then you're probably just feeding the corrupt beast of government yeah and you got to be honest with yourself about that got to be honest with yourself about that. You got to really, I think that's hard for a lot of people because they just want to live in that, that, that comfortable place of, oh, I care. And I just, and I know, I just, I know that this is at least doing something. Well, I mean, I'm going to say that most Americans, every person I know, they are caring people. People, just because you don't want to like give someone a meal doesn't not mean you don't want to like uncaring. You're uncaring yeah. or you like don't want to solve homeless right. homelessness. So yeah, there's generally people are kind, good people, and they want this to be a problem that's taken care of. But it doesn't mean that the solution want, that the politicians are giving us are, is actually Yeah, because you actually want it to be taken care yeah, of. Yeah. You want it to be done. Yeah. <laughs> we can't our kids can't go down to the beach and have to walk past a homeless line with people jeering at them or with trash or uh, well, no, what happens worried. is your kids just lose the beach. That's what happens. Or one part of the beach. Yeah. Or, or that yeah. area. Yeah. It yeah, just becomes unavailable to them. Yeah. That that's, that's like not acceptable. Mm -hmm. So that's all I'm going to okay. say. All right. Well, I think, uh, 
hopefully we've given you something to think about on that. <laughs> yes, there's a lot to think about. And, and, and if you're if you find found it to be uh, maddening or provocative or you disagree vehemently, that's okay. You know what? I'm happy for people to to disagree. And you can get back to us in the various ways that that we share to give us your input. And uh, I'm happy to uh, to consider that. Yeah, I am too. And, and I, we don't want—I don't want it to sound like we're. No, I, I love input on this. We're—I'd uh, I, like to continue this discussion. I, I want this problem to be solved for everybody. Well, I, I and then. Part of me is I don't think it really can be well, solved, solved. No, but I, I would but, like to say that, hey, <laughs> let's it, talk about solutions. To if, managing if this we, properly. Yeah, but if we actually say, if all of our conversations just talk about management and with actually, let's try to make this go away, then we're actually not even ever going to get to the point of trying to, to solve it. Uh, well, Yes, but when I say management, I mean by reducing it. Reducing. It's in the same way that you can't really get rid of corruption completely, right? Yeah. You just try to keep it as minimized as possible. I think that's really what homelessness is. There's always going to be some amount of it. But clearly we're, <laughs> we're – Exceeded. Yes, the- we have just blown through whatever historical yeah. precedent we used to have in, in America anyway for it. Okay, well, uh, that's it for that topic. Uh, why don't we move on to something with a little levity? With a little levity. <laughs> I have really a funny thing to ask you about. Okay. Have you ever heard or did you know that the Oxford Dictionary 2022 word of the year is, well, it's a phrase actually, it's called goblin mode. Have you heard about goblin mode? I have never heard this. Okay, so phrase, goblin, goblin mode is... Basically, people have reverted to their like beast self, and this especially came uh, beast self. What does where that mean? Where they're they're just they're slovenly, they're lazy, they're they're not like taking care of their bodies. They're just just living life in their most primal way, okay. and that's a new phrase, and especially came about during the pandemic. So people are just sitting around. Getting fat, not showering. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do you think about that? And it, that's called goblin mode. Goblin mode. Yeah. And the the Atlantic wrote an article it's, saying it's, like, it's we, horrifying. It's horrifying. <laughs> but the goblin, the the Atlantic said that we're all capable of goblin mode. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? If if you can get away with it, yeah. I mean, if if the food can magically appear and you can still magically get your salary or your your paycheck, uh, yeah, I can see that there's a lot of people might fall into that that pattern. But life kind of regulates this because if that's what you're doing, chances are you're not going to get paid. Well, what if <laughs> you're, you're lose your just job. working from home though? Well, and, and you know, you just do the thing where you're like. Your, yeah, you your just make Zoom you call. just make your you know chest level up look good, and yeah. the rest of you looks like hell. Exactly, <laughs> and you like have a bag of like a giant bag of like gummy bears like right next to you, just stick <laughs> your hand and Cheetos, and Cheetos, big old uh, you know your, forty your, ouncer. Your your uh, I don't know your six pack of monster drinks. Yeah, exactly. Day, right? No, you are drinking monster <laughs> drinks, and um, uh, yeah, this I sounds. Mean, I mean, yeah, I suppose people, some people might fall. In. I could see young people falling into that, definitely. But what about like Jack Dorsey, like during pandemic? Wasn't, didn't he, didn't he come out at one point? He had the full beard. Well, he and, looked like a POW for goodness Well, sake. he was in goblin mode. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, I, 
I I hate the phrase. I have to be I know, honest. Isn't it so Because like a goblin, you just think of like this hollowed out eyes and like well, yeah, you think of like and I think of I don't know Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah, goblins, oh, the right? goblins were terrible. Um, Lord of the Rings. I just. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not liking this new edition. Yes, I but know. But of course, they didn't ask. They asked me. I thought you were going to bring up another definition. Well, what's oh. the actual definition? What's the, what's the actual verbiage? I'm curious. Well, the Oxford Dictionary, or Oxford Dictionary, yeah, I guess it is, um, defines goblin mode as a type of behavior which is unapologetically, unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy, <laughs> typically... In a way that rejects social norms or expectations. Actually, you know, now that you read it that way, it does kind of sound like you know a Tolkien description of of, of goblins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just like ripping stuff yeah, apart, just like sitting around. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, they're so gross, and they're like ripping meat, and like their te- it's like foods all over their teeth, and they're in their on their face, and they don't care. All right, see now now that I've heard the actual definition, maybe maybe I. <laughs> well, there used to be like beast mode. And then there was like savage mode and like, it just was. God, I'm, I'm missing all the modes. Aaron, it's because you're not on social media. You like miss all the stuff. Uh, or, or did I really miss anything? You actually didn't miss it. But I mean, you don't know about it because of that you didn't miss it. Um, so anyway, that's goblin mode. Okay. And I'm, yeah, now you know. Now, now I know. It's a word to wrap up 2022 with. Goblin mode. <laughs> yes. And let, let's just pray neither of us ever. Yeah. If you catch me in goblin mode, you need to. I snap you out of it. Yeah. You need to get yeah, me out of Yeah. Same here. That's uh I don't even know what goblin mode. Goblin mode is not going to end well. Let's put it that way. No, no. <laughs> that, that's a you're bad. like, you're fat. That you're has like, a bad ending. Uh, what else are you? You're like hairy. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's, that's <laughs> all those unattractive yeah, pictures. Everything bad. Everything bad. It's okay. gonna happen. Um, but wasn't there? Aren't there any other? You know, that's funny because they come up with new definitions every year. They do. I suppose there's some other interesting. And are they? They're more like I would say they're. It's part of like the urban lexicon. Urban. Urban dictionary. Urban dictionary. Yeah. I mean, really like, I mean, I guess they're going to add that to the dictionary, but they're terms of phrase. They're sort of. They do. Well, there's, you know, there's a really interesting book was written by one of the um, uh, Merriam Webster lexicographer, lexicographer, however you say that word. Lexicographer. I I think, is that what it is? I don't know. Uh, But the people who basically study words and figure out and write the definitions. And it's actually a really interesting book. I can't remember the name of it, but she talks about this whole process about how they come up with the definitions, when they determine a definition has occurred, how they actually determine the, you know, what the definition actually is, like to distill it into words. Because a lot of times words are used and it's clearly there's a new meaning here, but, but it hasn't been explained specifically. And um, it was really, it sounds like some, like what would be more boring than listening to somebody talk about working at, at, at Miriam Webster coming up with definitions, but it was strangely really interesting. And she's a really good writer, which, which helped. She would have to be a good writer. Yeah, she's a really it, good writer. On, yeah, and there was a lot of, you know, little funny, yeah. funny uh, tidbits in there. And, and one of them actually was, what is it? Not ear. What is the word that you, that people say? Not irregular. Uh, um Irregardless. Oh, so that's she, a weird word. Okay, I so, don't use so that listen word. to this. So listen to this. 
she has a, there's a whole chapter on irregardless. And, you know, it starts off with people, you know, how, oh, that's not a word. And, you know, your teachers correct you. That's not a word. It's regardless. And turns out she starts researching and what they do is they, they have endless amounts of material, of printed material, internet material going way back far. And they, they researched the, the every use of the word and irregardless actually goes back pretty far. This is not something that, that just came up in, you know, the 1970s or whenever we were young. And it turns out it does have a different meaning than regardless. There And there's precedent for this. And, you know, for you lexicographers out there, don't yell at me if I get this totally wrong. But the gist is that the IR prefix in irregardless is used in other kind of in, in English and other ways to as an as a word of as a prefix of emphasis. So what you're really saying is really regardless. Like regardless, but like and I mean it. Yeah. Oh. And 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 almost all the contexts where people say that, that's what they're doing. And in that sense, it's absolutely a real word. Okay, I and, never knew that until today and, and I was always annoyed by and that. And they word. ended up putting it I I'm pretty sure they ended up putting it in the dictionary. Because it's it's actually a word that does have a separate meaning, and it's been used. God, I want to say they they found cases in the eighteen hundreds, at least, maybe even before that. So, emphasizing regardless. Yeah. Huh. You know, I, another word. Since we're talking about words, then we'll wrap this up. That a friend and I noticed uh, being used, and I can't remember. It's when we were back in mops. And someone used Mops. it. What's Mops? Mops is mothers of preschoolers. So when we okay. both of our kids were young, it's a program. And right. you go all to the church. preschool moms hang out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you like have a speaker. And one of the speakers used this word. And we were both like, she's very much into the English language. And we both were like, oh, that's not a word. And she said it a couple times. Oh, so you hadn't heard the word before? No, I knew it wasn't. I was like, that's not a word. Oh, okay. And and she used it a couple times. And then afterwards, my friend's like, did you hear her use that word? We were so annoyed. And the word is comfortability comf comfter well it's pronounced comfortability we're like is it so like comfortability comfortable (laughs) yes and then we started and then it started cropping up in different places instead of saying oh that affected my level of comfort Oh, it's you my comfortability. My comforter. My comforter. Oh, so it's so you're actually transposing the letters from it's, comfort it's, to comforter. Comfortability. And then it's, adding the ability on yes. the end. Oh, it's interesting. It's so strange. That's kind of like the axe ask. Oh, where yeah. they tra- you're transposing the, yeah. the letters. Yeah, and so you're. I don't know. It's so like this one, is a word now. I looked it up. And so, because my friend, she would send me videos like, oh my gosh, look at this person who's a major person using, they just say comfortability. Comfortability. What on earth? And then like, (laughs) I think I was at church one time years ago and the pastor said comfortability. I'm like, this is hilarious. I Googled it. It's it's kind of a word, but it's not really a word. So it's one of these words in transition. Yeah, exactly. Could become one. That's one of the things they talk about in this book I was referring to, like words will come in. And then sometimes they'll, they'll relatively quickly die out. And so they don't really become words in the language. But sometimes they come in and then they just stay. They just and then they become, they become words, essentially. And I think this word would be, if it was going to be spelled, it would be spelled comfortability. Right. 
right? Comfort, right? And then ability. Except the people who pronounce it say comfortability. Yeah. My comfortability. Well, that's because well, because we say comfortable, and yeah. it's actually comfortable. Yeah. But people say comfortable. Yeah. So th- th- that's the precedent that's yeah. already set. But it's just. And God, imagine. But now I can't unhear imagine it. Imagine trying to learn English, though. I know. Like right, and you see this word comf- comfortable. Yeah. But everybody says comfortable, and you're like, how do you get comfortable out of that? Really, seriously. <laughs> It's a mess. It's a mess. It is a mess. Yeah. I could go on and on. I'm I'm constantly fascinated. But that's a funny one because it just started to just come. Now you're going to hear people say it and you're going to be like, why don't you just say my level of comfort? Well, this is that whole thing where English, right? Because of its kind of hodgepodge origins, a mixture of all these various languages, French and Germanic and Norse and all that. We have a lot of different prefixes and suffixes that we can use and we just tack them on. And we have more than most languages because we have all these import languages. Yeah, it's it's funny. And it actually makes it kind of a fun language in that sense. Except when people say non-words or what you perceive as to be non-words and you're like, I can't. I'm so hyper focused on the fact that you just you're said like, a word that wasn't comfortability. a word. <laughs> I you're can't. Like, you're looking around at your I friends am. like, Did does you anyone else that? notice that? And then everyone's like going, "What's the problem?" I'm like he just said a non-word. What are you talking about? Oh, you're a stick in the mud. I that's know. the problem. That is <laughs> no. Well, I think that's about it for today. All right, I'm sure we could go on and on. We could, but uh, always our listeners they're ready for us to be. They done. have a limit. Yes, they do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, Aaron, I guess. Uh, do you have your topic for next week? No, I oh, do not. Okay, well, so... I do. No, I do. Oh, you do. Are you ready to reveal? No, or... no, no. Okay. We'll be releasing it. Um, actually. Well, so uh, just so everybody knows, we're the week. Is this the week of Christmas? This is the week of Christmas. Yeah. So, yeah. so we'll probably have a little hiatus here, but by the time we we publish this it'll it'll all just roll together yes and we'll be advertising what the next topic is on our social media so they can stay tuned for so that they can stay tuned for that yes. It'll be very exciting yeah all right well uh why don't you uh take us out well aaron i enjoyed this discussion with you i as i always do and i'm going to keep thinking about it i'll think about it more and more as time goes on and maybe we'll even tackle this subject again in the future if we have requests well as our podcast says I'll think about it. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the I'll Think About It podcast. We hope we've given you something to think about. Please share us with your friends and on your social media. Goodbye for now.